0: Sports Talk, Talk New, York New York with your, with your hosts Mark, Mark Rosenman Rosen and, A.J. and AJ Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator, Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here, here are your hosts, Mark, Mark and A.J. AJ.
1: Part of what we do here is very cool because the internet is a young person's medium. Right. Okay? And there's a lot of real interesting history that the next generation and the like middle generation has lost because it, it just it's out there. People forget it, and other than people like you know the Golden Box and the Peppys who write about right. it and love the sports, it, it's not really out I mean, there.
2: I mean, who are today's baseball historians? Is really what you're saying? Right.
1: So tonight we get a chance to share one of baseball's right. great stories, in my opinion, with the younger this generation. A
2: big heartwarming story.
1: Well, the interesting part is, before Josh went out tonight, I asked him, had he ever heard of Ron LaFleur? He said, no. I asked... I asked Mark Elliott. He said, no. I asked Doug. He didn't know. No. I explained it to him. So, tonight, for these young kids that either watch us on the archive... Or watch the show live, we're going to, and then the podcast, we're going to be able to share a story about Ron LaFleur. We're going to revisit some baseball history. Uh, Ron was the subject of a 1978 TV movie called One in a Million, which starred LeVar Burton, which is interesting casting. We'll ask him about that. LeVar
2: Burton was big at the time. Yes, huge. He
1: was just coming out of roots. Right. So while serving a five to 15 year sentence at South Michigan's prison in Jackson for armed robbery. He'd never played organized baseball. The Detroit native, right, in his right. own hometown, right. starred for a prison team. Okay, something that you would see in like a Sylvester Stallone type right. movie. Th- but this, uh, this this is not was, fiction. This is real. He was given a one-day tryout at Tiger Stadium in right. June of 1973.
2: And they decided that playing at Tiger Stadium was enough of a prison.
1: That they let him out him on could parole. They let him out on parole. Right. So, uh, and at that time, the person that actually got him that one-day tryout was then-manager Billy Martin. Right. So let's get Ron LaFleur on the phone, and we're going to talk to the man himself. Hello? Hey Ron, how you doing? It's Mark and A.J. on Sports Talk New York. How you and doing? On the air. How's it going? Pretty good. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Oh, um, you're welcome. We're going to start right at the beginning, and we're going to have the, the history of Ron LaFleur told to us by the man himself. Your child,
0: Ron LaFleur.
1: Yes. Right. Your childhood was not one of those Little League games and Boy Scout meetings. What was your early childhood like growing up in Detroit, and how did you end up in prison?
0: what was my childhood like growing up in Detroit? Well, um, it was pretty much like uh, any other kid's uh, child life that are growing up today in uh, poverty. Um, we just didn't have the guns and the things like that. Uh, we had a little more respect for our parents and our elders, but uh, the, uh, the the contents were still the same. Uh, you still had to mind your own business and um, I think that um, me uh as, as, as a kid coming up i I just decided that um my parents couldn't afford to give me the things that I needed to have you know to um uh, to to look like uh, all the other kids in the neighborhood Their parents may have had a little more money than we did so um i uh, in turn uh turned my life to crime I started doing things that were uh not what my parents had suggested or wanted me to do, but uh, it was something that uh, I chose to do. Uh, I had the, the right to say yes or no, but um, it was very hard for me to say no to things that uh, I thought that I could get away with.
1: So how did you eventually end up in jail? What was, was the crime that you were arrested for?
0: On robbery. Uh, it, was, um, it was one night we were sitting in a pool room. Uh, I had started doing heroin when I was like 16 years old. And... Uh, there's a few of my friends there. Uh, it was uh, getting close to Christmas time. We didn't have a lot of money, so I said, uh, "Let's go out and uh, and commit uh, armed robbery." You know, so at least we can have something for Christmas. I mean, like our parents are uh, weren't uh, the type of parents that were going to be able to to get a Christmas tree and have things under a tree wrapped gifts for us, and uh, we didn't believe in the Santa Claus thing, which. uh You know, uh, a lot of other kids did, I mean, because if Santa Claus was going to be really nice, all the kids would have had toys every year. So uh, we didn't have toys every year, so we had to do something uh, to uh, make that flourish and come true for us. And uh, so we went out and we uh, did things uh, to people that uh, put their lives in danger. Uh, You know, uh, you're not thinking about that at that particular time, but... You know, it's something that, uh, you know, you get caught up in the moment. uh, You get caught up in your environment. Uh, A lot of people say that the environment doesn't play a big uh, deal with their lives, but it does. I mean, but you still have that opportunity to say yes or no. And the majority of the kids uh, that I grew up with were saying no, and uh, we, uh, in turn, ventured into the life of crime.
2: So at this point, had you played baseball, did you play baseball, and where did you play?
0: Uh, I started playing baseball in the state prison, uh, Mich- uh, state prison of Southern Michigan uh, I didn't play baseball as a kid coming up uh, you know th- th- we lived in a concrete city in Detroit where I stayed I mean it wasn't grass and uh, you know baskets uh, you know around and baseball fields and things like that uh, we had a, 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 a recreation park called Pinkery Park uh, there was a uh, softball fields there where there was wooden bases that had that been uh, Dug up and, I mean, you know, dug into the ground like, say, home plate, all right, today in baseball. And uh, we played a little softball here and there, but baseball wasn't a big thing for us. Uh, We would go out and uh, play. We'd have our little beer, our little wine, have a good time, you know, and uh, play different teams from different little neighborhoods. Not a lot of organized stuff. And uh, that was really the extent of baseball that I had as a kid. I mean, uh, no, I didn't play any organized baseball as a kid coming up. uh, When I was going to high school, uh, I I, I really concentrated on being a football, basketball player. I I, I thought that uh, that was uh, something that uh, I thought I could uh, really uh, uh, strive in.
2: So So what made you decide when you got to prison that baseball was a sport you should try and play?
0: Well, you know, um... A little bit as more of a, a longevity. I mean, uh, uh, it was as not as uh, many injuries occurring there. And uh, but the thing is, like I had never played, and so it was it, it was a lot more difficult for me to try to pick the game up. But you know, I'd, I always thought that uh, being a good athlete, you know, it wouldn't be that difficult if you really determine, de, really determined, and you know, you set your mind to trying to do it. Uh, it wasn't anything that you couldn't accomplish, and uh, that's what I, I told myself, that I was going to be able to play baseball, and uh, I put in a lot of hours, a lot of work. I mean, you know, even though I was in prison, I put in a lot, a lot of hours, and uh, I started developing, and uh, then there uh, just started, uh, uh, things just started to happen for me. There was change that was coming uh, in from out, out, outside of the uh, walls, uh, like Olivet College, Hillsdale College, uh, the, the, the State Police Department. Um, there was other different colleges that was coming in. Some of our pro teams coming in. We, we didn't have away games, so all the games were played inside. We played only on on Saturdays and Sundays. So uh, it was really kind of tough to hone your games. You know, you you couldn't play every day. Whereas the kids, you know, have an opportunity right now, which I wish they would play. You know, but uh, they're not playing baseball like they should. But uh, it, when I was in prison, I, I wasn't able to play baseball every single day. We played Saturday and Sunday and. Uh, we'll get a little part from doing the week but you know just practicing with the inmates that's inside there which you like you're not going to really get a great deal of competition the competition is going to occur when the teams from the outside of the institution come in to play you and that's all the, you know. really the baseball that i was getting but i was really fortunate enough to meet a guy by the name of jim corella who uh... In turn knew a really good friend of billy martin's and uh... he in, in turn contacted uh... jimmy butchicares in detroit and uh... Butcher mentioned my name to Billy Martin, and uh, so uh, word got back to me at, at, in the in state prison, and uh, I wrote a letter to uh, the Department of Corrections requesting a tryout after I heard that uh, Billy Martin would uh, give me a tryout. Uh, I was turned down by the, uh, uh, the Department of Corrections at first because uh, the Tigers had told them that uh, there hadn't uh, been any uh, uh, available scouts to come up to see me. So, uh, the PI director in turn wrote the prison and said that he was going to bring a goodwill tour up there. And, uh, so, uh, that's how really my baseball career, uh, got started. Billy Martin came up, he spoke with me. Uh, he didn't get a chance to see me work out, but he did offer me that tryout that I had asked for before. Uh, my father and I was going to Tiger Stadium, and, uh, unfortunately, my father's car was really old, uh, through a ride. So, uh, we were out on, uh, I ninety four hitchhiking, trying to get get to the uh, tiger to the Tiger Stadium for my tryout, and uh, you know I was at twenty four hours, and I don't know if I was going to have a chance to get down to Tiger Stadium or if I was going to have to turn around and go back to Jackson Prison. But we was fortunate enough to be picked up by uh, a driver that was going uh, into the city of Detroit, and uh, he dropped us off at Tiger Stadium, and uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, get that tryout done. Uh, and pressed the front office very, very much. Uh, Billy Martin was there, Kayline was there, uh, Jim Northup, uh, Bill Freehand, Norm Cash. All those guys were there, Mickey Stanley, and, uh, these guys, uh, was really encouraging to me. Frank Howard was on the team at the time, Gates Brown, Julia Horton, uh, Ike Brown, and, uh, Frank Howard gave my first bat. Uh, our father was Billy Martin's pitching coach. He gave my first glove. It was a old kangaroo glove made by McGregor that broke in really easy, and, uh, that was the first glove that I had uh, that I owned to my own, and uh, that was the first glove that I used in professional baseball. I wore that glove uh, when I went back to prison. I was there for about three more weeks, and I was released. And uh, I went to uh, Clinton, Iowa. I still had that glove. I played with that glove in Clinton, Iowa. I played with that glove in uh, Lakeland, Florida, and I played with that glove also in Evansville, Indiana, which in uh, the period of time that I mentioned these three places uh, was 134 days well wow. uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to do, uh, develop uh, and uh, give uh, every effort that I had to try to be the best baseball player that I could. Uh, and you know, there a lot of luck was involved. Uh, we we're in Evansville after I had had a phenomenal season in a ball in the Florida State League. I was MVP of the league, my league player of the year. I went to Evansville and. Uh, The front office just happened to be there. You know how uh, front offices visit uh, their minor league teams to see how the players are developing, and uh, it just so happened that uh, Jim Campbell, uh, who was was the fallout director, Jim Campbell, was the president general manager. Bill DeJoy was the head of scout. They came down, and uh, John Fetzer, who was the owner of the team, was there, and... uh, I happened to hit a home run. We were playing uh, the uh, Cincinnati Reds, and like if they were out of Indianapolis at the time. Uh, they had Ed Hanbrister on the team. They had a pretty good ball club, and uh, I ended up hitting the home run in the uh, ninth inning to win that game. And didn't know that uh, Mickey Stanley was playing in Boston, and uh, he had been hit on the arm by with a fastball, and his wrist was broken. And uh, I had developed into a pretty good ball player in that period of time, and. Uh, from Detroit, um, it wasn't a great deal of attendance. The team wasn't doing really well, and so they brought me up. Well, uh, Leon Roberts uh, was on the ball club, who I think is a coach in the Atlanta Braves organization right now. Danny Myers, who was paid uh, to be the next LK line. Uh, these guys were really a little perturbed at the fact of me going up, just having 134 days of experience in professional baseball. <laughs> yeah. But I think that... Uh, I developed in uh, the, the fact of me being an, an ex-offender, uh, I was able to kind of quote with the uh, the pressures of uh, what it might be like to be a professional baseball and uh, having those experiences, you know, of, of being in jail and uh, surviving that. Uh, I shouldn't uh, have have a great deal of uh, problems in surviving uh, the press talking to me or, or being able to uh, fail if I went to Major League Baseball, which, you know, as yourself, uh, major league baseball is a game of failures you know you, you get uh, three out of uh, ten at bats for a hit you, you, you're a superstar so uh i was able to uh almost get three out of ten hits i ended up in 288 as the, uh, a, a baseball player in my, my career but uh i think i could have played a, a little longer uh I, I wasn't uh you know uh filled in on the things that i should have been filled in i don't think by the organization and trying and, and to carry myself into. to uh Possibly uh, talk to the media. I was uh, a little more honest with the media instead of uh, kind of embarrassing things the way uh, the guys do today. I mean, who, who was uh, uh, I to say or who was uh, uh, on the organization that was going to come up to me and try to tell me what to say? I was an ex I think people were really just a little afraid to a me. So uh, I think that uh, my career was shortened a little bit behind uh, the fact of uh, me being a little honest and uh, trying to burn the camera at both ends. <laughs>
1: Now, you mentioned a couple of things on your way up to the pros, and I just want to get back to it because I just have to relate a story to you to, tell, to let you know how proud people in Michigan were of your story. I was, I went on like a mini like baseball tour, I guess, um, I guess 1994, 95. And we went to Old Uh Tiger Stadium. And then after Tiger Stadium, we actually went to Lindell's AC, which is no Uh longer there, which is one of the, you know, the first real sports bars ever. And the two owners, Jimmy and Johnny, was still there. And yeah. I had remembered your story, and I asked John, the, the brother, who had happened Hi. to be there that night. He told us the whole story, how Martin used to come there after games, and how they were yeah. pressuring Billy to get out to the penitentiary. And you, you could just see the pride on their faces telling the story you know, so many years later. And oh, it, yeah. it was something that stuck with me for such a long time. In fact, I have it someplace on video. And um, actually, I, I should send it to you, because the guy was just beaming with, with joy, Ron. It, it's unbelievable. Now,
0: oh, he, Yes, he was, and I was beaming with joy for him, you know, because uh, who else would go out on the limb, limb and say uh, to Billy Martin, this guy might be able to be a professional baseball player. Billy Martin would go out on the limb and, and ask uh, the Detroit Tigers to give me a try. i never heard anything about me, about me before in his life. I wasn't scouted as a, as a little league kid, a high school kid, a college kid. Nobody knew anything about me. It was just on word of mouth, from an uh, inmate uh, to a friend in the streets.
1: Now, now another thing, on your way up, in Clinton, Iowa, your your minor league manager was Jimmy Leland, correct?
0: Absolutely, Jimmy Leland was my manager. I wish I was uh, still here to, to be a part of his uh, organization right now, but uh, things just didn't happen to work out that way. I mean, I'm really uh, uh, disappointed that I'm not involved with baseball now, but... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's uh, because of uh, my, my background, uh, part of maybe some of the Ken Burns tapes uh, that came out to talk about the guys that use drugs. But, uh, you know, I don't know really what it is. But I think if they give me the opportunity to play baseball and to make money for Major League Baseball, I don't know why I can't be out there and uh, coaching some of the kids that are out there today. There's a lot of problems out there. There's a lot of horrendous base running out there that I see that I don't think I ever have. Uh, Uh, anybody to say that i was a a bad base runner, you know, and I think that I have that to offer at least, you know, I hear managers talking about if we can only run the bases better, you know, and uh, these are things that uh, I don't think that uh, they take in consideration these days, Uh, they don't take outfield and infield, I mean, there's there's so many different things that uh, guys don't do today, but I guess because of the astronomical uh, dollars that they're making, the day they don't want to go out there and maybe tweak a muscle or something where they might miss a couple months.
2: So let, let's talk about this. You were known very much. You hit 288, which is a great average, especially these days. But you're known pretty much as a base dealer. You, you've won the stolen base championship in both leagues. Yeah. Uh, and you stole 68 bases in 1978. But, you know, that means you, you, know, you had to run the bases a bit. You get a chance to watch. You know, we're here in New York, and we see Jose Reyes, uh, right. and we see him steal a lot of bases, which is great. Then we see him some, do some stuff on the bases. And you just scratch your head and say, "What is he thinking?" or "Why isn't he thinking?"
1: Well, he in Detroit, you probably get to see Cabrera, and you probably scratch your head as well. So, well, no,
0: I live in Florida, but you yeah. know, the, the thing Florida, is, right? you know, I, I look at these guys and. Uh, they get thrown out as much as they steal bases, or they get picked off. You know, like, uh, what I was praying is when they brought in the, uh, if you get picked off, it's a cost stolen base. So, you know, it's, it was a lot more tougher, you know, at, at that particular time, but these guys know about it. See, we didn't know at first. Like, they brought that rule in on us, and then they told us about it maybe a couple of days before. But, uh, I think the guys when I was playing, we were still bases when it was really needed to steal bases. other than Ricky Henderson. <laughs> you know, Ricky was still a base, you know, because he wanted the record, uh, which, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad for him and he's got the record. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that know that, uh, you stole bases to put your team in a position to try to win ball games. You didn't just want them still steal bases to have records that the record came, you know, true enough. But, uh, I think that the majority of the guys that that were stealing bases uh, were trying to steal bases to put their teams in scoring position. I know every time that uh, my last at-bat I got on base, if we was up a run or down a run, I would definitely try to give myself a scoring position to help the ball for at least tie the run or put us ahead.
2: Did you ever get thrown out trying to steal third with uh, less than two
0: out? (laughs) Uh, I think I thought I'd try to steal a third a couple of times, but, uh, you
1: know, I stole a third base 13 times with the catch and throwing the ball back to the pitcher. <laughs> okay. But now, you know, we fast forward three years into your career, three years out of prison, you're having a great yeah. season, you have a 31-game hitting streak, you make the All-Star game. At that point in your life, you know, what was it like to be three years removed from jail and being one of the fan favorites in Detroit? What, what was going through your mind at that point?
0: You know, uh, I, I really can't tell you, but, you know, I, I may have learned to play the game too fast, you know. Um, but uh, I wasn't the, the spring chicken either. You know, I was 25 years old, so it was a different thing. I was, You know, I was released from prison at 25 and was told to put my age back four years. So uh, it was just one of those things. You know, I, I, I learned to play the game. I, I, I played really hard. I ran hard all the time. Um, and I think uh, that the fans acknowledged that. You know, the fans were voting at that time, and I was the second-highest vote getter to rock career in 1976 when I made that all team. And, uh, you know, I was really uh, depressed uh, at the end of that year because I thought I was going to lead the league in run score, and I ended up going to New York and uh, Russell Rappetellerton and then Roy White ended up leading the league in run score.
1: Now that was also part of a, a mini-Renaissance in Detroit, you know, when Mark Fridgerts got there. All of a sudden, yeah. you guys w- were playing before sold-out crowds. What was uh, Mark the Bird Fridgerts like as a teammate?
0: You know what? Um, we all love we all love Mark. We love playing behind him because we know that we're going to be out of the ballpark in a hurry. <laughs> you know, like I remember a few years ago, everybody was worried about these games four and five hours long. Um, you play behind Mark Fridgerts, you're out of the ballpark in an hour and 30, hour and 45 minutes at the most, so. It's just one of those things. He threw strikes. Uh, he averaged about seventy some pitches a game. You know, uh, I don't know how many pitches they average that maybe in three or four innings now. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's I don't think that, that the pitchers are are throwing enough. I think the pitchers should be able to, to, to throw seven, eight, nine innings sometimes. It's not enough complete games, as far as I'm concerned. See what that pitcher really has. Does he have that heart to go out there and win that <laughs> ball game when when it's really on the line? Got guys on base with one out. Can he can he finesse enough to get that those two guys out of his one arm and get two guys on base? You know, the game has really changed, but the game is the same. I mean, like uh guys don't play hurt, you know, we had to play hurt and I think we suffered a great deal from that because all the ball players that played sixties and seventies, you know, the early eighties, uh, played with pain. Uh, they weren't getting compensated for it and uh they don't have insurance today, uh, and like, there's nobody really doing a great deal for them, and uh, it's, it's a sad thing. But uh, we still uh, were appreciative of having an opportunity to play Major League Baseball for the fans. I think we played the game for the love of the game. We're going to always love the game. We're going to always uh, support the game.
1: So, so now you're this big fan favorite in Detroit. You're in your hometown. Things are going great. And then you're traded to the Montreal Expos. What did that feel like?
0: It felt like crap. Uh, I never knew it was going to happen. Uh, it was it was a situation uh, that um, Sparky Anderson uh, came to Detroit. Uh, Les Moss was fired. Uh, this was June, maybe June first of July. I had a mustache on. Um, Sparky told me to shave the mustache. He told Rusty Styles on to him, He told him to shave. A really of Rodriguez was there. He told him to shave. Uh, we didn't shave. You know. Um, I think I made a statement about the mustache down hit 300 to score 100 runs, uh, and uh, Rusty Stobbs said he wasn't shaving, and he drove in 107 runs. You Rodriguez really, really won the gold Glove that year, I think, and uh, at the end of the year, uh, they had the winter meetings in Toronto, we all got traded because we didn't shave our mustaches. So, uh, it was a real depressing uh, moment for me. Uh, I get traded to Montreal. Uh, I was really frustrated. I go over there. I told Omar Marino, since he was the player base given champion over there, yeah. that I was going to win the National League Stolen Base title that year. And, uh, fortunately enough, I did do it, but, uh, it was, it was a real trying times because I broke my wrist in September and I was, uh, only able to pinch run.
1: No. Yeah, well, you ended up leading the league, and, and that I, I believe you are the last person to lead the National League and American League in Stone And Actually, in your honor today, I'm wearing an I, Expo. I think
0: you're the only one to ever do it.
1: I believe so as well. And in your honor today, I'm wearing a Montreal Expo jersey and a Detroit Tigers hat. But uh, let me ask you a, a bigger question, the big picture. Sure. If it wasn't for baseball, Ron, how do you sure. think your life would have turned out?
0: I, I can't say. I mean, i was fortunate enough to have baseball. You know, like, you, you can't second guess and, and think about what was going to happen to you if you didn't have baseball. Uh, I could think that I would I, I would have been uh, alive today, but uh, I still can't tell you what would have happened if I wouldn't have baseball. I did have baseball, so there's no need in trying to think of anything other than me being a baseball player.
1: Okay, I have two other questions for you before we let you go tonight. I appreciate your time tonight, and I think your story is a wonderful story, and it's one that kind of gets lost in the annals of baseball history, but it is one of those real good, feel-good stories, which we don't really hear enough about in today's day of the steroids and constant, you know, the press about this manager is going to be fired or this guy is cheating on his wife. This is one of those stories where a guy had a real tough beginning to his life and turned his life around. But l- let's go a little step further. The last day of Tiger Stadium had to be a real emotional time for you. You're invited back for the festivities, and then afterwards, you're arrested because of a computer mishap. C- could you tell the viewers about that?
0: Yeah, it was really big, You know, um, and the, the, the police officers that was there, my mother was there in a wheelchair. I did, you know, I told the police officers, I said, i put my mother in the wheelchair. He said, no, you're not. You're under arrest. You know, like, and at that particular time, like, uh, um, I, my wife was there, you know, I'm going to tell you, it was an awful situation. You know, a police officer going to sit up and tell you, your mother, you see, is in a wheelchair, she see, he sees she's in a wheelchair, and he tells me, a, a police officer now, tells me I cannot put my mother in the car. I'm under arrest. No, like, Where was I going to go? It was four police officers there. I mean, I wasn't a threat to run anywhere. It wasn't like I was, I was being looked for for armed robbery or murder or something. And he told me I couldn't put my mother in the car it was very embarrassing and then he had a nerve to ask me for an autograph after he locked (laughs) me up oh no and then uh... there's no it's want to from New York but anyway uh, the thing is um, the Detroit Tigers didn't even try to help me out or anything they didn't even try to look into it to try to help or do anything I was a part of that organization I mean like that hurt I mean can you imagine how that would feel you know, you play for an organization. You're back there at the organization, celebrating something of their history, and they don't even try to get in touch with you to try to help you out themselves.
1: It's amazing. It, it seems it's so surreal. It almost seems like the the last scene in the original Longest Yard. You know, like with yeah. Krug, and you uh, you stick yeah. that in your trophy case. You know, but um. <laughs>
0: If I was playing for Mr. Steinbrenner, I know he would have tried to do something to help me out.
1: Oh, absolutely. uh,
0: Which I really admire him. I admire the Yankee organization because whatever it is that these guys may, may get into, this man is going to stay behind them and try to help them to get their lives straight. I mean, if every owner was like that, I don't think he would be having all the problems in baseball. I don't think the steroids would have been involved. You know, I think there would have been a, a lot smoother baseball being played. The players would have been playing a lot harder. But, you know, after that reserve re-entry draft clause, I mean, things just really got out
1: of hand. You've also managed in both the Frontier League and as well as the Canadian Baseball League. And you were talking before about how you yeah. really like to get into, you know, coaching or managing. How did those two stints go when you were managing?
0: You know, I had a great time in Chicago. um, uh, I had I, I had a great time. I was in, na- in nineteen ninety five. I started the uh, Northeast Independent League in, in, in Newburgh, New York. I uh, went up to the Canadian Baseball League where Fergie Jenkins was the commissioner. Uh, the uh, league folded uh, because there was, there was no attendance. I mean, like it's really tough. I mean, there's a lot of independent teams out there today. Uh, that's affording a lot of guys to have opportunities to possibly get back into professional baseball and you look at Kevin Millard is a living example who's in the major leagues now who played independent league baseball mm-hmm. you know so there's opportunities out there for guys but uh, having that opportunity uh is, is uh really fine in between guys have to really show that they want to play baseball they got the desire and willpower to play mm-hmm. and uh they got to go out there and show the people that okay I didn't get the opportunity to play when I was in college or get signed by a major league team, but I'm going to show you that I have the drive to do it now. And uh, right at this particular time, you know, I'm kind of proud to say that I've been contacted by the United States military uh, All-Star baseball team to uh, manage their team during the summer. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Excellent. Yo, Ron, you know, uh, Ron, I wish you the best no, of no. luck. You're the second person that we've spoken to that we feel should have a job. In some capacity, whether it be in a minor league, I mean, you should be a coach, a base-running coach for 90% of the organization in baseball, just like Mike Marshall should be a pitching coach someplace in, in baseball. I, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I wish you luck with, with the U.S. military team. We will definitely follow that. And and it yours is a wonderful story, and I thank you so much for being with us tonight, Ron. Thank
0: you very much for having me. All right. Thanks okay, a lot. Thanks. Hey, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Okay.